in leadership, there's this there's this temptation to to do what's popular, and popularity is a funny thing. It, it, it wanes and waxes, right? So, uh, but one of my uh, mentors uh, really is uh, in in academics and academic leadership is a former president of Oklahoma Baptist University. His name is Dr. Bob Agee. And I remember uh, even this past semester when we were dealing with some very difficult things, uh, he, he said something that's shaped me deeply, and it resonates. He said, when faced between what is popular and what is responsible, choose the responsible every single time. And uh, that, that really resonates with me, because in times of crisis and in times of stability, we've got to do what's responsible for the institution, for the organization, uh, to further the mission and purpose, uh, even if it's not popular. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I am your host, Joel Harder. Not all of the guests who join me on The Leaders We Need come from the political or policymaking arena. This is a podcast focused on conversations with leaders across all sectors of our society and leading in various ways in our state. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with Dr. Heath Thomas, president of Oklahoma Baptist University. We're going to talk about a number of things, his journey into academia, his passion for higher education, and ultimately how that led him to the role of president of Oklahoma Baptist University. One of the things that we dived into is leading through crisis. This is a topic I just believe we're going to hear a lot more stories about in the weeks and months ahead. So many leaders in so many industries and all sorts of organizations found themselves leading through crisis, and Dr. Thomas is no exception. In just the first few weeks of his appointment as president of OBU, the COVID pandemic made its way into the state of Oklahoma. We discussed the decision-making process that he followed and really how he understood his role as president in order to lead well in those opening days, weeks, and months of this extraordinary global event. In the next episode, we're going to hear more from Dr. Thomas about the future of higher education and where he sees a university such as Oklahoma Baptist really serving well and thriving in the years ahead. Well, before we get to the conversation with Dr. Heath Thomas, if you have not already, please do subscribe to The Leaders We Need on whatever platform where you get your podcasts. You can subscribe, give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, and let us know what you like, what you'd like to hear more of. We'd love to hear from you and incorporate the feedback from our listeners in future episodes. Well, let's get to the first part of my conversation with Dr. Heath Thomas, president of Oklahoma Baptist University on The Leaders We Need. When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need Are Possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. In When Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics, 
while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When leaders matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com. Well, Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for joining me for the leaders we need. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you over the last few years and just to get to talk with you and hear your view on education and the role of of higher education, in particular what's happening at OBU. And I, I was thrilled when I uh, heard that you were named as the next president of Oklahoma Baptist University. I can't Thank wait you. to hear a little more from your perspective, just of that that journey into this role and and now leading in this role in an interesting time. Very um, interesting, absolutely. One of the questions I love to ask everyone who comes on, the leaders we need, is for you just to go back into your history a little bit and think about some experiences, maybe some people that at the time you didn't necessarily see how that was really influencing your leadership or what would one day become the way in which you approach leading, but in retrospect really was significant. Can you share a little bit of sure. your well, experience? Sure. Uh, well, Joel, first of all, let me just say thanks so much for the opportunity uh, to spend some time with you. I've enjoyed getting to know you over the years, and I'm excited about this podcast and grateful for the work that you're doing. So let me just say that. As far as uh, some influences in my life, uh, you know, um, I never would have imagined uh, that I would be in uh, this level of leadership. Uh, I never kind of strategized to get here. I just tried to step through the doors that were opening and uh, really, in in my faith, pursued what it seemed to me that God was opening for myself and my family. And so in some ways this is very surprising, but looking back on my life, uh, I, I think about some, some moments uh, that shaped me deeply. One was in Oklahoma. I was introduced to a man when I was about 11 years old, a man named Dr. Jay Strack uh, through my dad. My dad was a pastor here in Oklahoma City, uh, and he, he introduced me to this man, Jay Strack, and Jay uh, was, was, was a speaker. Uh, he spoke to, he's spoken to more uh, youth in America than anybody. Uh, he, he's unbelievable, uh, just powerful speaker, inspirational speaker, leader in his own right. And uh, he really invested in my life and just said, you know, if, if there weren't any limits to your life and God could do anything that he wanted with you, you know, can you just dream? And, you know, it's the Disney principle, just imagine if. Uh, just imagine if if there weren't limits and you could do anything, what what would it be that you'd want? And I began thinking at that point in my life, you know, I I, I, I think deeply about things. I enjoy reading. Uh, and maybe God would use me to be a professor or mm-hmm. a teacher of some sort. And so that got me on a journey, and Jay has been instrumental uh, as a mentor uh, really for the past 30, 35 years, I guess. And uh, he brought me through a process called Student Leadership University in the 90s, uh, and student leadership was just leadership development uh, for youth 
and it's a four-year process that uh, trains leaders to think, to time manage, that to manage their time through time management systems, and to dream, to uh, gain vision, uh, to think about our world and our communities, and uh, do this in four locations. Uh, number one in Orlando, year one, year two in Washington, D.C., year three in, uh, well, in, in, in Europe, and year four is in Israel. So you get international, you get the roots of, of uh, the American experience, and you get to meet um, all sorts of political leaders in the Washington experience. I, I remember uh, I was part of a bill signing. Um, I, I was part of the gallery behind President Clinton mm. when he signed a bill. And just experiences like that open your eyes, and I think part of leadership is helping uh, younger leaders or, or people with potential see the opportunities and catch that vision. And that's what Jay did for me. And I remember those were formative experiences in my life that helped shape me deeply into the leader I am today. Yeah. That's such a good question. Asking really good questions is such a powerful tool. And it's one that I am eagerly trying to develop. I'm not nearly as good at it as I should be. I'm hoping that this experience of of these conversations and the podcast is training me a little right. bit, but it, it is such a powerful question to ask. And you've already kind of jumped in a little bit with my follow-up, which is where did that desire for going into higher ed specifically kind of first take shape, specifically as it's now led you to this role of being a university president? Yeah, so higher education uh, began with that seed, I think, in my early days when I was a teenager. Uh, we moved from Oklahoma City to Dallas, Texas, and I had a, a, a um, an English teacher take an interest in me and saw some potential in either my writing or some of my poetry that I wrote or some of the essays that I wrote. I can't really remember what it was, but uh, they encouraged me. And uh, uh, my, my English professors or teachers in high school in Grapevine, Texas, uh, taught me how to write. Uh, they were incredible, incredibly strong women who taught me how to think and argue. And uh, they encouraged me. And I remember my senior year, we watched a movie called uh, Dead Poets Society. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's it. I, I want to be, I want to be an English teacher. I want to be an English professor. And again, you know, it, it is powerful to think if God, if there weren't any limits on your life and God could do anything, what would that be? But I, I, I think you have to have champions mm -hmm. who help you see what's actually possible. And I think those those uh, English teachers taught me and uh, helped me see what is actually possible. So that's why I became an English major yeah. in college. And uh, then at, I was an English major at Oklahoma Baptist University. And uh, I mean, I really count OBU as providing a world-class education. I know we're gonna talk about education. Yeah. and. So some of what I believe was uh, formed in me deeply here at OBU, uh, but they helped me see what was possible, and then I, I, I carried along that journey. And uh, while I was at OBU, 
when I was at OBU, you know, um, one of the things that I've learned is you're the same person you are five years from today, except for three basic things. Hmm. The people you meet, the books you read, and the places you go. And OBU taught me to read deeply and read widely. Uh, it gave me wings to travel and go outside uh, of Oklahoma and outside of what I knew. And uh, it introduced me to a lot of different people. Uh, yeah. And those three things were powerful. So in my uh, time at OBU, I, I made a trip to uh, Israel and Jordan and saw uh, a different world. And it was almost as if the literature of the Bible became full color for me. And uh, I was taking Hebrew with one of our professors here at OBU at the time, and my desires for literature shifted from English literature, you know, American fiction, et cetera, to uh, biblical literature. Yeah. And that's where my desire to, uh, to become an Old Testament professor really germinated. So from there, I went to get my master's, and then I went overseas to the UK for my PhD. And that's where it shaped me into the Old Testament professor that I am today. The uh, administrative journey, I, I'm not sure that I ever thought that I would be doing what I'm doing. I've, I'm, I'm an academic at heart. I still research and write and publish and speak and do all those things academically. Uh, but, uh, you know, at heart, I, I, I just I fell in love with uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and I fell in love with the biblical lit- uh, material. and. And that's what drove me to do this strange blend that we do in Old Testament studies of literature, history, and theology. And that's 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 kind of what set me on the path. Those three things that are what are different in five years, that's that's a wonderful perspective. Yeah. It's my experience as well. For a season of time, I was a global strategies right. uh, pastor in the D.C. area, and I've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of different places in the world, different cultures and contexts. And for me, getting to go to those places have helped so much to see with a greater level of objectivity, sophistication, right. Right. the culture that I'm in. Yeah. And and that's what we really need as we develop this big conversation right. of being able to see different perspectives and different backgrounds is just, just to get out of our own our own perspective of our right. own culture. That's right. And not everybody has the ability to travel. That's right. Uh, and and yet, I, I will say getting to do that was powerful. Right. And in, in shaping that ability in me. Yeah. I think that's right. And, you know, you're the same person you are five years from now, except for the people meet, books read, places you go. Places you go don't have to be uh, overseas. Um, the places you go can be in an the apartment complex, going knocking on your neighbor yeah. down the way and getting to know them because they are not you, yeah. and likely their experiences haven't been yours. And so it's very important, especially in community, uh, that we get to know one another. It's kind of a lost art. I remember when my wife and I moved, we lived in North Carolina for eight and a half years uh, once we moved back from the U.K., and uh, when we lived in the U.K., it was a very much a, a different kind of community experience. Everybody walked everywhere. It was pedestrian culture, and uh, you got to know your your neighbors. When we moved to uh, back to America, it was interesting. You know, uh, at five or five thirty or six or six thirty, whenever people came home, uh, your 
garage door might as well have been a drawbridge. Yeah. And everybody's going into their castle and don't mess with me. And so uh, we did something countercultural in that context. In our neighborhood, we just said, we've got to get to know people or we'll die on the vine here. We're the new people. So we just went door to door and put flyers in mailboxes and said, hey, we're new here. We need friends. <laughs> so we, we threw block parties in our neighborhood just to get to know people. And that's what I mean, you know, the people you meet, uh, some of the most interesting and wonderful people that are very different from us are in our own backyard. Yeah. And so you don't have to go overseas. You can you can come uh, in your own community and, and get to know people with differences in you, and I think that's a powerful thing. Over the last 10 to 12 months, I think every leader in any entity or organization or industry has experienced leading through a crisis. Right. And how you lead through a crisis is as diverse as the organization or people you're leading, right. the industry you're in. Within just a few short months of your installation as the new president of right. Oklahoma Baptist, we experienced the pandemic coming into our state. There will be lasting consequences of COVID in our world and in all of our industries and entities, and there will be lasting consequences specifically in higher education. Let's kind of work our way to hearing from your perspective of, of where we're going, but I first just want to hear a little bit of the journey as you stepped into this role and then began immediately leading uh, this university through that crisis. Just walk me through some of your decision-making. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, there's a couple of things that I would say, and, and uh, first has to do with the role of a president. Uh, the function of the president is the chief executive, and in the case of OBU, the chief operational officer of the institution, is very important uh, that I understood my role. Part of my function as a university president is to uh, be aware of and do what I can to protect the mission of and the purpose of the university. And that means that I, I really do understand what we are about, mm -hmm. and I'm looking externally for threats that could um, impinge negatively on us achieving our purpose and us achieving our, our mission. So, uh, you know, in, in my early days, uh, I really dug in to our mission and purpose. And uh, OBU is literally a life transformation institution. OBU exists to transform lives by equipping students to go into their world and make a positive difference uh, for good. Yeah. And we do this through our distinctively Christian liberal arts education that adds value to communities. Uh, that's that's why OBU was formed. That's why OBU exists. And so in the early days, I was really honed in on that. And so we knew about this virus coming, uh, you know, as it as it was, even in 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 uh, January, we were mm -hmm. talking about it in cabinet, and February we were talking about it in cabinet. Not least because we have international students, and so the question became, okay, well. What could this do for our community yeah. if if we have movement, we have global uh, engagement trips, global outreach trips? 
what would this do for these kinds of trips? So we were talking about these things, uh, but pretty pretty soon it became apparent that this could be a, a real existential threat to our um, uh, university. So uh, I think what I would say is, uh, you know, from from my seat, I was thinking about how do we advance our mission and our purpose even in the face of this threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we need to do to protect our community, particularly our students and our employees? Uh, what do we need to do to uh, advance our mission and purpose even in the face of this? Uh, so being very clear about mission and purpose gives you a, a razor-sharp focus on what is most important and what's of secondary importance. And, uh, you know, it, practically speaking, uh, from a leadership perspective, what did we do? Well, we engaged uh, not just my voice or my thoughts. We began to draw in the rest of the campus community. Cabinet leaders across campus began to talk through, uh, strategize. Um, we began talking about, all right, well, if, if uh, you know, environmental factors impinge on our ability to function, uh, what does this mean for us financially? What does it mean for our student population? Uh, do we need to quarantine or send everybody home? What mm-hmm. does that mean for us? So we begin to work that whole decision-making tree yeah. uh, early on, and uh, that was a that was an unbelievably challenging time. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I would say, and this is just my personality type, um, I'm a very much uh, judge judge think kind of disposition. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was no there wasn't a lot of emotion involved in, in me. Yeah. Um, there was in some of the folks around me because they're built a little bit differently than me. Uh, my wife, for instance, was saying, all right, well, what's this going to mean? She's a very different personality type than me, compliments me very well. But um, there wasn't a lot of emotional engagement. It was just very, okay, if this, then what? Right. If this, then what? Okay, what does this mean for summer? We were talking about summer and fall as early as March. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so we began to project out what was necessary. And again, always keeping that mission and purpose vitally clear in our hearts and in our minds. And so all of those decisions that we've made, the myriad of decisions that we've made up to this point, have been about protecting our purpose and our mission to continue it on for the next 110 years. But if if we lose our mission or if we drift from our purpose, we're in deep trouble. And so as leaders, we've got to we've got to stay absolutely committed to that. Some other things that are important for us is uh, getting board input and board communication. That's my responsibility as as the CEO of our organization and uh, keeping them apprised of what was going on. So communication, communication, communication was absolutely key, still is. Yeah. I love the way you described understanding your role and the what's expected of you and what you have power and authority to do in that role. One of the marks of integrity that we talk about in Capital Culture, I've written about it, is this concept of self-control. And a lot of times we think of self-control on uh, on the end of you know reining in right. uh, action, and that's certainly a part of it. But in, the only way you as a leader are able to do that is if you understand mm. the authority that is yours. That's right. And we need 
leaders of integrity that model self-control, meaning we need leaders who will exercise the full extent of their authority, not step beyond it. Right. And that is the kind of leadership that will really guide us well. And, and you've just described, I think, very, very well how you are a leader of integrity that, well, that modeled that in particular. I uh, hope mark. so. It's a, it's a challenging thing uh, to lead in these days. And, uh, you know, I haven't done this in isolation. We've got great people around us here at OBU. We've got great leaders. Uh, our faculty, our staff are absolutely fantastic. And so they bought in, they added uh, great value to this entire process. And I would say this, uh, you know, there's always, uh, you know, in leadership, and you know this, in leadership, there's this there's this temptation to to do what's popular. Mm, yeah, and popularity is a funny thing; it, it, it wanes and waxes, right? Yeah. So, uh, but one of my uh, mentors uh, really is uh, in in academics and academic leadership is a former president of Oklahoma Baptist University. His name is Dr. Bob Agee, and I remember uh, even in this past semester when we were dealing with some very difficult things. Uh, he, he said something that's shaped me deeply, and it resonates. He said, when faced between what is popular and what is responsible, choose the responsible mm. every single time. And uh, that, that really resonates with me, because in times of crisis and in times of stability, we've got to do what's responsible for the institution, for the organization, uh, to further the mission and purpose. Uh, even if it's not popular, and sometimes that's a challenge. Yeah, we're going to move forward. Sure, there is a future, and obviously, adapting and innovating in light of this experience sure. of a pandemic is going to be an important part of shaping the future. But there's also beyond and setting even that aside. There's a lot of conversation going on in the policymaking arena about right. the future of of higher ed and different kinds of expectations for higher education. In what ways will higher education be different in the future from your perspective? That's a great question. Higher education uh, space right now is fraught. Uh, I believe that. Uh, Not all higher education space is the same. I think that's very important to recognize. Um, So OBU is an institution of Christian higher education, and that shape is a bit different than uh, some other education institutions. Um, So if I were to uh, ask how is higher education going to change, I would first want to say, you know, what is the purpose, say, of an OBU kind of shape of education? Uh, What's its purpose? What's its function? Well, uh, OBU's shape of Christian education, number one, very much like other shapes of higher education, we're made to add value to the communities in which we operate. Mm -hmm. So as I've said to our team here, uh, the value of OBU in the future will be measured in how we add value to people and to communities. So we've got to be asking that question, how can we help? Mm -hmm. And that means we're asking our state, our businesses, our communities, what are the great needs of the day? And then how can we stretch to meet those needs? So higher education that exists for itself is doomed to fail. Higher education that exists to serve 
I believe is destined to succeed. Mm -hmm. And it's vital that uh, OBU, for instance, uh, when when we, we recognize our roots, our roots, when we were formed in the early days of the 1900s, the visioneers who created OBU, they were looking on the eve of this new state in Oklahoma, and they asked the basic question, what does our new state need? And what they came up with was absolutely surprising. They could have done a lot of things, but yeah. they said what we need is a university, a Christian university, that adds positive value in every aspect of this new state. Mm. So anything that you can think of in the new state, they said we want to add value there. Well, I think that vision was true 110 years ago, but I also believe it's absolutely vital today. We've got to be asking the question, how can we help? How can we add value to, to individuals? How can we add value to communities? If we can do that successfully, and not exist for ourselves, but exist for others, then I believe the higher education landscape will succeed. The second that it looks inward rather than looking outward, I think we're in deep trouble. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.